0: Hello and welcome to the Commonwealth Policy Podcast with me, Jonathan Shaffey. I'm the Campaigns Officer here at Commonwealth and delighted to be joined, uh, as ever, by uh, Craig DL, who is the Head of Policy and Research. Happy New Year to you, Craig. Happy New Year. Thanks very much. This is, uh, of course, the the first um, podcast um, of 2020. We stopped rather abruptly last year uh, because our old office uh, managed to get flooded, yes. uh, which actually you found, Craig, didn't <laughs> yes, you? Yes,
1: I came into the office uh, uh, on a Tuesday, one, one Tuesday morning uh, and heard pouring water, um, a feeling of dread. I went exploring and found a burst water pipe uh, in the ceiling that, that flooded out the office. Wow. Um, one of our colleagues uh, who was sharing the building with us, um, Steg, uh, DJ, managed uh, ended up losing quite a lot of his equipment. We were very fortunate. None of our equipment was damaged and none of our Christmas merch was damaged. We had stocked up the office with all of the stuff that we were planning to sell over Christmas. Potentially, we could have lost all of that, but we were very, very lucky. We were also very lucky in that we managed to find alternative accommodation that we could move in the next day and here we are now with the wonderful people at Glasgow Collective up by the Barras.
0: Aye, and we're here now and I have to say that it is quite a step up in terms of uh, offices in in many ways, Uh, but of course sad to have uh, left uh, uh, Canning Park as well. But moving on because uh, we are a very short number of days into 2020, what do we have? We have Australia on fire. We have uh, a huge escalation of tension in the Middle East around the assassination that took place there and the uh, Iranian response, which we've seen. Uh, It's not got off to a quiet start. And we're also going to talk today about um, the Brexit process in yeah. relation to Scotland, where we're going to see a huge constitutional uh, conflagration as well. So, a very uh, a very uneasy uh, start to the year.
1: It is a very uneasy and very grim time in many ways. Um, they, they, we have a lot of factors all now clashing together, that if we don't have people willing to kind of step up and fight against them, then we could end up in a very dark place
0: indeed. And I think that's Really worth bearing in mind that, you know, we at Commonweal, uh, present analysis, we present the policy proposals, which we think can bring about sort of positive alternatives, but we also are building that movement that you, um, uh, touch on there. Um, what's your view, first of all? Because I know we're going to get into, to Brexit and we're going to get into yep. the repatriation of powers and devolution and independence strategy. We at Commonweal are doing some work on on that. Um But I wanted to just start actually by getting your view on what's happened in Australia, because we've yeah. been doing a lot of work on the Common Home uh, campaign and on the Green New Deal. Clearly, it's a huge question around climate change when it comes to Australia. I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yes, yeah, it's... it's- some of the images we've been, we've been seeing coming out of uh, Australia and nearby uh, have been shocking. Um, uh, there, was, there was one photo in particular that I saw of smoke uh, completely choking the air over New Zealand. Now, we at the other side of the planet kind of maybe have a slightly skewed sense of geography, that we think uh, Australia and New Zealand are right next to each other. I mean, it's not much further than the distance between Britain and France, isn't it? The distances involved here are much larger. That photograph was the equivalent of seeing London covered in smoke due to a wildfire in Estonia. Mm. This is continent-spanning clouds uh, of smoke caused by continent-spanning conflagrations. And it's not just Australia. We have seen in recent years and this year an uptick in the number, uh, extent and intensity of wildfires in South America, in Siberia and in Central Africa. Central Africa is currently ablaze at a rate similar to or exceeding Australia. It's not making the news so much. We are in a climate emergency, but in Australia, in the political sphere and in other places, you still have people either denying that this is a problem entirely or, almost worse, the climate delays, saying, mm-hmm. well, we're going to do something, but not yet, or just a little bit, but not as much as we need to. We really need to get a grip of what we are actually doing. There's no one else really talking about the the extent of the problem or the, the plans needed to develop the solutions in, on anywhere near the scale of even our plan, our common home that we talked about last year.
0: Yeah, and um, that's, I think, vital to underline right at the start of this year, that really the politicians and the political institutions are still lagging Yes, so far behind yep. where they need to be. I was reading quite a lot about Uh, what's been happening in Australia. And of course, there's a a huge human cost. But I was also reading that they're looking at about a billion animal deaths. And in fact, they're looking at the extinction of certain species, Uh, including the koala. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is a huge... (laughs) Catastrophe. Yeah,
1: I mean, the the habitat loss uh, caused by these fires is absolutely devastating. We've seen fires sweep through nature reserves. Some of the last remaining populations of of koalas who were unaffected by chlamydia, which is causing major damage to the the wild population, um, they've suffered massive losses of their populations. There are experts out there saying now that it is terrifyingly likely that the koala is now functionally extinct. That yes, there are koalas still alive, but we don't have enough of them left to keep a viable population going indefinitely. That's horrifying. We 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 are witnessing the deaths of iconic species, and we're also witnessing the death of species that are not so iconic that we tend to ignore, and that's just as devastating.
0: And we of course know how the ecosystem interacts and the uh impact that will be Uh, experienced as a kind of knock-on effect from losing uh, not just animals, but but, but habitats and so on. Um, So this is a real uh, focusing of our minds, um, and this year we'll be really uh, rolling out the Common Home Plan um, across the country. We've got previous podcasts which cover this, uh, and we'll link to some of those um, uh, below this one. Yeah. Um. But but do do keep your eyes peeled for that. And just before we get on to the kind of main body of this uh, podcast, I did want to just briefly ask you as well, because I think it would be remiss not to at least um, uh, have some words about it. And that is the, the other major crises that we're seeing uh, since the start of the new year, which is what's happening in the Middle East. Um, and uh, just wanted to get, again, just you know, a brief comment on, on
1: how you see that developing and, and how you see that generally. The United States has had a long history of trying to provoke itself into a war with Iran. Um, it has a long history of meddling in the Middle East in general, as does Britain. Uh, the, the, the history of the last century or so of the, the Middle East has been essentially you know, powers like Britain and America stomping around and causing absolute chaos and hell and then failing to clean up the mess. You have Donald Trump, uh, a man who has no filters, no sense of perspective, no sense of anything but the most extreme options, uh, ordering the assassination of keystone figures in the Iranian government and then threatening to... Commit war crimes, threatening not just disproportionate responses to attacks, but also directly threatening to attack cultural sites in Iran. Those two things are war crimes. If he orders them, then he could be convicted of crimes against humanity, and, and that's if, uh, a terrifying. That's and a, a terrifying prospect that this has been just, bla- bla- you know, with a blase attitude broadcast over Twitter.
0: Absolutely and you know, as I was just about to say just uh, towards the end of your comment there uh, you know you say that this could result in war times trials if it was ever to be carried out but of course What's happened with Iraq? The rules-based order, quote unquote, is really been kind of thrown out yes. the, the window window. Um, so we're in kind of wild west uh, territory um, now. We could have a whole podcast about that, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure it'd be an interesting discussion. But needless to say, uh, we here at Commonwealth are very much opposed to to Scotland being involved in any uh, in any conflict. With Absolutely,
1: Iran. and the Scottish government should ensure that it does nothing to support any action that. that results from this. This includes public assets like Preswick Airport. Scottish Government should step in and refuse access to American military assets that will be used in, in any coming conflict.
0: Now, let's move on, uh, because we want to discuss uh, the Brexit process, um, the never-ending and ongoing Brexit process. Because... It's true that Boris Johnson has won his uh, thumping majority, but of course the Brexit process remains very complicated and and all kinds of uh, obstacles along the way. Um, But let's focus um, in this discussion on the Brexit process, the repatriation of powers as a result of Brexit, and the relationship between that and devolution and the Scottish Parliament, because there are some huge... Issues opening up here.
1: Yeah, so the Brexit is such a a broad topic uh, in in, uh, legal terms that um, there are so many areas of law affected by it that if Westminster wants to pass its Withdrawal Agreement Bill, then it must pass legislation that impinges on uh, the devolved governments, on devolved powers. Now, under the Scotland Act, under the Rules of Devolution... Westminster is allowed to to legislate on devolved issues but the convention is it must ask the permission of the Scottish Parliament before it does so. But um, we have news today. As we're recording this, the Scottish Government is going to be debating uh, giving that permission uh, this afternoon and it looks overwhelmingly likely that it will refuse this permission. However, The rules of the devolution settlement is that powers devolved are powers retained. Westminster still reserves the right to legislate regardless of what the Scottish Parliament wants to do. This asking permission is just a convention, not a constitutional arrangement. This was upheld in a recent Supreme Court case. The UK government has clarified its its convention to say that it will only overrule the Scottish Parliament when times are not normal. So it will not normally overrule the Scottish Parliament, but it reserves the right to do so when times are not normal. It has declared Brexit to be a not normal time. Alistair Jack, the the Secretary of State of Scotland, said so at Scottish Questions today. What it means in general is that Westminster reserves the right to overrule the Scottish Parliament when times are not normal, and it just defines not normal as whenever Westminster wants to overrule the Scottish Parliament. It can just do it, regardless of permission, and even when permission is refused. This is incredibly corrosive to democracy. The, the Westminster can just completely ignore, ignore the devolved parliaments whenever it chooses. So this brings
0: me to two questions. The first question is, how do you see that dynamic uh, developing and evolving? Over the the coming year, uh, and related to that, how does this uh, impact the the independence mm. question and questions around the referendum? And
1: secondly, what should we do? Well, on the flip side of this, we also know of the Section Thirty process, mm. where if Scotland wants to to legislate on reserved issues then it has to ask permission from Westminster. And unlike the, the other case, it has to ask permission. And that permission is uh, uh, can be granted or refused. Now, Boris Johnson has said that he will refuse that permission. That a, a Section 30 request has been submitted by the First Minister. Did, she did so just before the, the Christmas break. Boris Johnson has said that he will respond in good time. He has not responded as of the time of recording it uh, of this. He has no incentive to say yes. None at all. It does not strengthen his position at all if he says yes, and it weakens it dramatically. He has every incentive to say, no, my mandate is bigger than your mandate, Nicola. Get on your bike. There's absolutely no way that he's going to accept this. Yep. Like, and, and indeed... There's actually incentive for him just to say, "I'll respond in good course to file the letter into a drawer and completely forget about it." And and I guess, yeah, yeah, he has a majority. He has a thumping majority in the House of Commons. You know, nothing that the Scottish block of MPs does or does not do can 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 stop what he's doing. Why does he need to listen to Scotland? You've had your say, Scotland, back in your box. So what about responding to this then?
0: And responding to, to, to what you've just outlined there, but also yeah. to the to the matters
1: around repatriation of powers? Well, I mean, there, there, there are various things that could happen after this in that the actual UK constitution over this isn't entirely clear about what happens if the Scottish government wants to hold an unofficial referendum without the Section 30. You know, mm. there's nothing... They are stopping the Scottish Parliament from having an advisory referendum. Remember, the Brexit referendum was an advisory referendum. There was nothing legally binding about that result. Yeah, um, and governments could consult the populace on whatever they like. That's one argument. However, if we did that, then there'd be no reason for the UK government to comply with the result. It's advisory. We'll take it under advisement. We've adv- we've thought about it. We're going to ignore you. So, as the year shapes up, I think that probably what we can
0: uh, surmise is that, given that Boris Johnson, under these circumstances, is not going to uh, oblige a, a Section 30 request, that probably the SNP leadership then used that as a platform for their 2021 uh, Scottish parliamentary election campaign, which is to say, yeah. if you want to uh, buttress uh, the Scottish Parliament's and the uh, attacks on the Scottish Parliament, effectively, which which you've outlined, if you want to strengthen and underline and uh, add resolve to uh, the request for another referendum, which can't be denied, uh, continuously, then vote SNP and vote for an independence majority in twenty twenty one. I mean
1: that's certainly the line that they will use now. It's hampered by the fact that the uh, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has promised a referendum in 2020, and it's looking increasingly unlikely that that promise will be fulfilled. Now, Mm. what what is the political fallout from that? There have been a lot of people who have lent their vote to the SNP who are maybe not natural supporters of the SNP, or will feel betrayed if that referendum doesn't come about. So to then say, well, actually, no, we need to go to 2021 now, and then maybe later you'll get a referendum, that it could result in bad feeling. More broadly, a more fundamental way to look at this, though, is this isn't going to be resolved as a matter of constitutional politics. There isn't going to be a magic court case that says, well, the, the act of union is invalid and, you know, a stroke of the pen, Scotland becomes independent or something like that. This is about politics and soft power. Boris Johnson is still using the once in a generation line. He's still using the 2014 result as if democracies are immutable and unchangeable, which of course is as is is an oxymoron, is a contradiction in terms of democracy, has to be able to change its mind. Um, so we need to show that Scotland has changed its mind. We need to start showing the the increase in support for independence. We need to start further building it, and we need to start showing that Scotland refuses to be governed now by a, by, uh, a government that is refusing to ask permission and is riding roughshod over perm- over permission denied.
0: I think that's very coherent and all makes sense. I mean uh, one of the I guess one of the key concerns that that I've got and have been raising over uh, the last couple of years in fact is that if it's possible for Boris Johnson or any uh, Westminster government to deny one mandate then uh, what's to stop them denying another uh, sure. mandate? I mean, if 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 the mandate that we presently have can be so undermined, uh, then uh, it seems to me that even if there is a, a pro independence or an SNP majority uh, government in twenty twenty one. Uh, standing on the basis of another referendum, then even that can be uh, denied as well. So lots to think about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have mentioned, uh, but Commonweal, uh, we are doing some work um, on this and on strategy and tactics yeah. around around independence. Yes,
1: we're, we're soon going to publish a paper on um, the, the strategies that we should be now employing to uh, ensure that we become an independent country. Uh, we're also going to be producing more papers on answering the questions, the very legitimate questions that people have on independence, summarising our work in books like How to Start a New Country and our other policy papers like our, our white paper project, um, updating them to, to take into account the, the, the new circumstances that we're in in this post-Brexit world, um, but also updating previous work uh, and updating on um, other other proposals produced elsewhere.
0: Now, when you say that, uh, you know as we come towards the end of our first uh, podcast of 2020, it just uh, inspires me, but I think it's important that we really underline at uh, this point that you've just reeled off there a whole uh, bunch of very complex and difficult issues and said Commonweal's going to come up with some answers and solutions to these issues. And that actually, if you look at it, whether it's uh, working with partners in Grouse Moors, whether it's national energy companies, the Scottish National Investment Bank, through to a whole uh, blueprint for a Green New Deal, on every single one of the major questions, it's Commonweal, it's thanks to people like yourself working on the policy, who are actually coming up with answers, coming up with solutions, and... If you're listening to this, and if you're supporting Commonweal, it's just worth reiterating that none of this work would be possible uh, without your help and without your donations and without the the sharing that you do for us on social media and all the rest of it. Um, and I just wanted to, uh, you know, as I said before we conclude this podcast, just kind of get your uh, your summation uh, of that because we've got a huge year ahead at Commonwealth. Oh. How are you feeling about the? <laughs> yeah. About the challenges to come.
1: I, I don't mind saying I was almost burnt out by the end of last year with uh, the, the Common Home Project and, and everything else on top of it. But I've had a good break. I'm, I'm rested and relaxed, but I'm, I'm raring to go. I, I, I want to get into all this stuff. I, I've really seen the result of what Commonweal has been able to do for Scotland to help improve the country that we're in. And I see so much more needing to be done. I, I want to get my teeth into it. Yeah. So, um yeah, I, I'm sure there are others out there listening to this. I, I've even had contact today from uh, people who were inspired to start projects based on just listening to this podcast. Well, which, <laughs> so, just, show,
0: which just shows you. And um, uh, uh, for my part, uh, Craig uh, specializes in bringing together the, the policy and it's my job to ensure that the policies that we produce reach as many people as possible and yep. we've got a, a big plan to roll out the the common home uh, project right across the country with some quite interesting uh, innovations that we're going to develop but also uh, public meetings events and so on so so do keep an eye out for that and uh, as I say um all of that work the policy development the movement building um all of the, the, the elements of Commonwealth, including this podcast, are only possible thanks to those who give donations. So if you don't as yet, but you're listening to us, um, just now, um, and you're thinking about the, the huge challenges that face Scotland and the world uh, in the coming year, then please do consider uh, leaving us a donation. We'll, we'll put a link for that, um, below the podcast. We're not funded by any big money backers. It's all by grassroots donations. Um, so we thank you for that. And on that note, we'll bring this uh, podcast uh, to a close. Uh, We'll look very much forward to the next one, which will happen next week. These will be weekly podcasts uh, once again. Uh, Craig, it's been a pleasure as always to talk to you. I know you're uh, extremely busy already at the start of the the new year, and I'm sure our listeners send you uh, all the best as well.
1: I'm loving every minute of
0: it. (laughs) And uh, on that very positive note, uh, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you next week.